I just say that uh, several folk missed last week's study for various reasons. I have one or two CDs here of last week's study and the notes in my file from it. If anyone is interested afterwards, you can freely have a copy. In Acts chapter 2, and we're at the 21st verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm just looking at this one verse tonight. But it's a very important and significant verse. Last week we spent time looking at the judgment of God. We were looking at that great and notable day of the Lord. And some of it was not pleasant to think about. It's never pleasant to think about God's judgment being poured out on lost sinners. It's a most unpleasant subject. But you know, when we come to verse 21, we find it starts with this word, and, and it shall come to pass. And. You see, uh, the prophecy did not stop at judgment. But we move on uh, with this gracious word. We have seen the judgment. And the judgment is sure and certain and is coming. But we now have a gracious word of salvation. A word of great hope. A word that we can rejoice in. And it shall be. And when we read that phrase, it shall be. That very clearly tells us of something that is certain. It is definite. It will happen. And it says it so certainly. And we can rely upon it so firmly because of the character of the one who has spoken. You see, these are the words of God that the prophet Joel had written and Peter is quoting. We see that back in verse 17. Saith God. And we can rely upon it. We can trust upon it. Because of the character of the one. Who has spoken it. And it shall come to pass. That whosoever. Shall call on the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Come to this word. Whosoever. This 
is a word that we cannot limit. There are no boundaries to this word. This word is so broad. It's an amazingly tremendous word of grace. Whosoever. It means anyone. There's no distinction in it at all. It's not a word just for the Jews. It's not a word based on class, rich or poor. It's not a word based on your background. It's not a word based on your moral living. It's for everybody. This word has no limit. It brings to mind the words that we read in Isaiah chapter 55. And we spent some time in Isaiah chapter 55 in the first verse. And we read there, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. You see, this is the gracious invitation. It's not an innovation of the New Testament. As I say, this is quoted from Joel. And it's the same word of invitation in Isaiah 55. It's for everyone. And we must never be afraid of declaring the gospel, the gospel of saving grace to everyone. To invite them to the Saviour. He is their only hope. We live in a world that is dark with sin. We live in a world that is full of trouble. And we have the only hope, the only answer. The only solution to all the problems. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving work. The Lord Jesus expressed the same idea in Matthew chapter 11 and the 28th verse. Very well known words. But you know, we need to think about familiar words sometimes. To think of them afresh. Bring their meaning home to us. 
Come unto me, he said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These are great words of invitation. The invitation is to be given out freely and widely to everyone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We notice here, whosoever shall call you know, it's an open invitation. But it doesn't say everybody will be saved. There's a requirement. Shall call. There's a necessity to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, if the gospel invitation is given out and you refuse it, you can't blame God. And this is an open and a wide invitation. If you refuse it, it's your own fault. That's what God's word is saying. Don't blame God. He's issued an open invitation. Whosoever shall call. This is the same word that the <coughs> Apostle Paul used. If we look in Acts 25 verse 11. The apostle there is under arrest. He's on trial. And he's pleading not guilty. Here we are. We hear him in verse 11. Verse 10 perhaps. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof those accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. And Paul here was on trial in a court of law. And as was his right, he appealed. Onto Caesar. He, he called onto Caesar. He lodged his appeal to the highest court he could judicially, seeking a deliverance by the authority of Caesar's judgment. And, and this is the same word. When the gospel invitation goes out, it is inviting people to call on to the Lord. It is inviting 
than to come in utmost dependency upon the Lord. To turn away from what they can do for themselves and look at what the Lord can do for them. This is a word that recognises a dependency upon. And we see in Genesis chapter 4 and the 26th verse, the last chapter of the fourth chapter of Genesis, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. This would seem to have been the start of public worship and prayer. On to the God of all glory. This, the line of Seth. They began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to invoke his name. They began to show their submissive dependency. We see this too with Abram in the 12th chapter of Genesis, in the 8th verse. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And these men were publicly worshipping, calling upon the Lord, showing their dependency upon Him, their submission unto Him. And Abraham was a man of faith. He called upon the name of the Lord. And so we read in our text, And it shall be that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we have the idea and policy. Names are, are just the word that somebody liked. Mother or father, usually. It has no personal significance. Yet we are known by our names. But it doesn't really go beyond that. But when we come into the Scriptures, and especially when we come unto the Lord, when we speak of His name, uh, there's so much more to it. You see, 
the name reveals the character. We know what we know through his name. And we can see this clearly when we think of Moses. Moses there who was tending the flock. When the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in Exodus chapter 3 and the 13th verse. See, Moses has been told to go down into Egypt. He's been told to go and speak unto the people, to speak unto Pharaoh. Verse 13, we read, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. You see, as Moses stood there, he received this revelation uh, from God. God revealed himself in his name. I am that I am. The self-existent one, the self-sufficient one. His name was a revelation of God's character. We need to grasp that when we read the words of our text. Now then, we can draw a little more out of this when we turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're familiar with Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments. The seventh verse. Familiar words. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh <coughs> his name in vain. You see, the name of God is not just a word. The name of God is precious and holy because it speaks of the very character of God. To take his name in vain is indeed to blaspheme against God, to speak willfully against his character. When our Saviour was asked to teach the disciples to pray, he included that phrase, Hallowed be 
thy name. Hallowed. Holy. Because, as I say, it speaks of the character of God. We must grasp this. When we read of those in the days of Seth, when we read of Abram calling upon the name of the Lord, they were coming in total dependency upon the character of God. They were putting their faith in Him. This is a matter that we must never treat lightly. It's a free and an open invitation. Whosoever. But it goes on to say, shall call upon the name of the Lord. There has to be a turning away from self, self-dependency, self-righteousness. An appeal unto God. A dependency upon God in His holy character. In His all-sufficiency. We'll see to Romans chapter 2, the 24th verse. In this chapter here, we find that Paul is engaged in a detailed argument. He says in verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. He's talking about those who claim uh, to be somewhat better because they've been law keepers. But he's making the point that all stand guilty before God and all will be judged. And he goes on. You see, he says at verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. You see, in verse 23 there, it said, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. You see, because they said they could keep the law when they couldn't, they were causing God's name to be blasphemed. People were looking on and seeing these people claimed to be God's people. Claimed to be living up to God's standard. And when they didn't, 
because no one can, it caused people to blaspheme against God, against His name, against His character, to blame God for their bad behaviour, to think that God was not strong enough, not sufficient. that there was something inadequate and wrong with God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. The name of God is the whole character of God. And there's a huge study if you go through the scriptures and look at the various names of God. And see what is revealed about God through those names. And we can learn so much. It's a vast study. <coughs> and one that we know very, very little of. Somewhat to our shame. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. As we've noticed in previous studies, we have this word Lord here. And remembering that this is a quotation from the prophet Joel. So this is the word that in the Greek translation, the Old Testament, that the Jews prepared. The Septuagint. This is the word that was used in the place of the name Jehovah. Which in our Bibles in the Old Testament is in capital letters. The word Lord. It's the name Jehovah. And this is a part of Peter's proof Peter's proof concerning Christ. As we see there in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. Peter is bringing them under conviction for what they as a nation have done in rejecting and crucifying the Lord Jesus. But he's also bringing them to see who Jesus of Nazareth is. Both Lord and Christ. And the Lord Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. And that calls to mind that great text. Ye are my witnesses, saith Jehovah. You see, the Lord Jesus is that Revelation of Jehovah. We read, we have read in 
Hebrews chapter 1 about the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You notice those words. Who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. It couldn't be put more strongly. And this is what Peter is seeking to bring home to his hearers. The same as what the writer to the Hebrews is seeking to bring home. You see, when when you come unto the Lord, you are not coming unto a God of your own imagination. You're not coming unto someone who man has dreamt up some private notions of what God should be like. I fear so often these days people have an idea, a a woolly, foggy sort of idea of what God is like, of who God is, and it's a God of their own creation. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the one who has revealed himself. And there is so much that we can learn about him. When you come, you have to come unto him. You have to call on his name. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You see, there's an idea that faith is not about facts. But facts are the very essence of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is not some amorphous feeling good Faith has to be based upon knowledge. The people who came to the Lord Jesus for healing came to him because they knew he healed people. They knew he could heal them. And that's why they had faith. 
They knew of his person. They knew of his character. They knew of his power. This is what faith is. This is what calling upon the name of the Lord is about. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. This is another note of certainty. It is certain because of the character of the one doing the saving. It's not dependent on the character of the one calling on the Lord. It's dependent on the one doing the saving. It's dependent on the character of the Lord. Do we begin to grasp this? Shall be saved. You know, the Lord Jesus spoke of this in John 10, in the 28th verse. The 10th chapter of John's Gospel in verse 28. And, well, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Eternal life means eternal life. You have Christ's word for it. You have the strength of his hand for it. You have the strength of the Father's hand for it. Shall be saved. This is definite. You know, this, the words of our text, this is not the only place they appear in the New Testament. We also find them in the book of Romans, in the 10th chapter. And if we read there at verse 9, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Apostle here is making the issue very clear. Whosoever, anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We read here of his gospel explanation. There in verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, 
a person who claims to believe in a heart, but who's never, never confessed that before anyone. You've got to ask the question, have they really believed? You remember the, the gospel message, believe and be baptised. Believe and be baptised. Well, that is the order of things. Belief in the heart, calling on the name of the Lord, and then confession. Baptism. You know, those who put baptism first have got it wrong. Baptism is for those who have believed. There's no doubt about it in the scripture. It's so clear. Salvation is not a matter of ritual. It's not a matter of birth. It's not a matter of sacrament. It's not a matter of liturgy, of knowledge, of wealth, of parenthood. Salvation is a matter of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But you know, there are people who seem to call upon the name of the Lord. And what happens? They prove by their subsequent actions that they hadn't. There are many verses we could think about, but we'll just look at the marriage invitation. In the notes, there's a reference to the, the parable of the sower, which is very instructive in that regard. But we'll go to the, the uh, invitation to the marriage in Matthew's Gospel and the 22nd chapter. You see, there was this king who sent out invitations to the marriage. And you know, when the invitation went out, there was a free invitation. The Lord Jesus speaking here says in verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatling are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. You know, God is gracious in sending forth the invitation, and sending forth the invitation, and sending forth the invitation. But verse 5, But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Isn't this what happened to God's prophets down the years? The invitation was ignored and rejected. The prophets were persecuted to death. Isn't this what they did with the Lord Jesus? People like us 
took him and crucified him. But verse 7. But when the king heard thereof he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the, we the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Is it that the whosoever of our text? So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding a garment. You see, many responded to the freely given out invitation. But there was this one who had come. Who'd come in his own clothes. Who hadn't thought it necessary to put on the wedding garment. And in the gospel invitation, there's no place for self-righteousness. No place for self-dependency. We must come in Christ alone. And he saith unto him, verse 12, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You see, before the Lord there is no defense. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Solemn words. What can we do? We have this responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <coughs> it is Christ's command to preach the gospel to every a creature. We are to leave the response in the hands of the Lord. He that seeth the heart. And what if you're filled with doubt? If one is uncertain about being saved delivered from the power of sin delivered from the penalty of sin what should one do? Well, the words of our text are clear whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved turn away from self-righteousness Turn away from what you can do. Cast yourself upon the Lord's mercy. Cast yourself upon his character. 
what he has done. The finished work at Calvary. And you shall be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, how wondrous are these words of our text this night. Oh, we do pray that indeed they will grip our hearts. Oh, if any know the Lord Jesus not as their Savior, may they hear the words of our text. May they call upon thy name this night. Well, we do pray too that we will be more faithful in that work which our Saviour has given us uh, to bring the gospel uh, to every uh, creature. We ask this in our Saviour's name.